Well, the question is, is Christianity good for the world? Is Christianity good for the world? You may or may not realize it, but there are a lot of people asking that question right now. Is Christianity really good for the world? Some have, have just lumped all religion in together. Some have said uh, religion, and Christianity included, is ultimately bad for the world. They cite religious violence, cultural apathy, extremism, prejudiced behavior, attitudes that are personal and systemic, that are rooted in, in racism and resentment. Some cite that religious people use moral failure to shame others. Some say that religious folk uh, unfairly judge others. And some say that religious people often just look the other way. They, they only pray or seek to help either themselves or those that they really care about, but not really the other, not their neighbor, and certainly not their enemy. Now these accusations, they, they, they break my heart, and, and probably yours as well. And uh, as, as, as we try to wrestle with what we're going to talk about tonight, it is just natural that we would feel a, a bit defensive. Uh, but if I can encourage all of us collectively um, just to try to do our best to be as self-aware as, as we can, and, and also just try to see how, how there, there have been missed moments. There have been opportunities that we have just unfortunately just, just missed the mark on. And in hopes that we can strive to be better and strive to live up to the calling that God has given us. I really believe that we can do better. And I, I, I believe that, uh, that Jesus can work through us in really dramatic, powerful, obvious, and incredible ways to, to help people rethink this idea that Christianity is bad for the world. We're in, we're in week three of our really series, and that's the question that we're really going after. Is Jesus really good for the world? Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I find it very easy uh, to be cynical these days. Uh, some days, um, you know, I, I, just, I just feel that as, if, as if I'm just swimming in the cynicism. I mean, everything you read, everything you watch, everything that comes up on your news feed, you know, the conversations that you have with friends, like you just feel the cynicism. And, and I have this like constant running inner monologue going on in my head. Like when something, is, when something is happening, like on TV or something like that, or something like you're reading something and you're like, yeah, but what's really happening? Like that's, that's how the inner monologue kind of goes, right? And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but what's the other side of the story? Oh, that's a, really, that's a little too hard for me to believe. I, I, oh, I, I, I'm, I would just really like to call a timeout right now and talk to this author in the middle of the page and find out what is really going on type of a thing. My inner monologue runs all the time, even in church, right? You, you probably have an inner monologue as well, right? Anyone, anyone has like a constant inner monologue just like, that just kind of works overtime like, like, like mine? Anybody? Any, anyone's inner monologue right now just like, I'm not really sure I want to raise my hands. Like, what, what am I committing myself into? Yeah, th that type of thing. Well, it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be plagued by the frustrations that that, 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 that we see day in and day out. And it's easy to give in and, and, and you want to repay blow for blow, hate for hate, strike for, uh, for strike, intelligently formed rhetoric for another intelligently informed rhetoric as well. And like you really do feel this clash. And so I, I find myself, even, even in the midst of the cynicism, even in the midst of the sarcasm and, and all of that, like I want sincerity, I want inspiration. I, I want to find goodness and virtue in the midst of this. 
I mean, it's, it's a really tough way to live. And this is why I am inspired by, by people like Jesus. It's why I've decided to commit my life to him. And it's also why I'm, in, I'm inspired by people like Dr. Martin Luther King. One of my favorite Martin Luther King stories, it takes place um, early on in his, uh, in, in, in his, uh, in his career, uh, during the, uh, the, kind of the genesis for him as in his involvement in the civil rights movement. And he has just been, uh, he's just been threatened. Uh, like his home is, is about to be bombed and like he, he, bricks are going through the window and like all sorts of envelopes are appearing with all sorts of things. And one night in particular, he had just had a baby born. One night in particular, he just cannot sleep. And he was just, he was just up all night, just kind of like, just like pacing throughout the kitchen, pacing throughout the kitchen, as his biographers uh, describe this scene. And he sees his Bible, like, you know, kind of like off on, on, on the kitchen table, uh, but he doesn't want to pick it up. It's, in fact, he, it's the one thing that he knows he doesn't want to do that night. He does not want to pray and read the Bible. He, he's been praying and reading the Bible so much, he does it on a daily basis, and he just wants God just to keep him safe and take the anxiety away. And so he just, just hour after hour, he's just kind of just pacing through his house. Finally, kind of just like in surrender, he sits down at the kitchen table, opens the Bible, and, and finds himself in, in the middle of the Beatitudes, and, and, and just, it, he just stops over the words, blessed are the peacemakers. And he finds himself like, that, that's me. Like, that, that's all I'm trying to do. That is, I, I'm trying to get justice and equality and bring peace. God help me. And he finds himself just like reading and reading and reading with fresh eyes and, and this, this new, renewed sense of vision and, and hope that he has. It is one of my favorite stories. Not, not because he's, I'm a pastor and he's a pastor and he's reading the Bible, but it was a renewed sense of calling and a renewed sense of hope and vision. And, and I'm inspired by that. For him, Jesus was good for him and the world Jesus was good for, him, for, 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 for the problem that he was trying to pursue and for society. That's, that's compelling to me. And why do we find Jesus to be so good for the world? Well, I know this answer sounds a little cliche, and I know it sounds even a little bit simplistic, but just, just bear with me for a second. Jesus is good for the world because his love is greater than anything in this world. His love is greater than anything in this world. In fact, if we can find something that is, that is greater than God's love, I think we're going to find ourselves in trouble because God is the source of love. God is the giver and the bringer and the restorer uh, and, 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 and the deliverer. And he does all of this with, with this idea, with this, this, this beautiful concept of love. I believe that. I, I believe that God is stronger and his love is stronger than anything in this world. Among my ongoing concerns, though, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, and, and as a pastor is I believe that the church is not always known for being a place of love. And, and, and that is a big concern to me. I, I, I do feel that. Like, I, I, have, I have many friends who are outside the church, and when they drive past churches, they, they don't see this place of love the way that I see it. They don't see a community of people who are just, oh my goodness, these are people just, just, just marked and charged by love. They drive past churches, and, and, and they feel other words. And that breaks my heart. And oh my goodness, I would love it if, if, if in, our, in my lifetime, that if we could make progress and, and if I would be, become part of this, this movement, if you will, of changing this impression of how people perceive the community of church instead of what, whatever it is that they say and into more of that, those people really are lovers of others. 
Those people really are good and faithful and kind and compassionate. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And I believe that is possible. Because I see the love of Jesus as, as very brilliant and very revolutionary. I, and, I, and I push back on this idea that, that Jesus just wants us to be nice. I, nice is good. Nice is good, but it just doesn't go far enough. I mean, Jesus' love is so revolutionary, it really can change the system. And it's capable of changing the human heart. So I want to take a look at some of these, these scriptures that, that we have seen over the years and, and kind of set up to, uh, to, to a point that we want to arrive to tonight. Uh, you, you've, you've read some of these passages before, like in, the, in John 13. John 13 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, Jesus says this right before he's about to go to the cross. Uh, this is like one of his final instructions to his disciples. On the, probably a few years ago, um, up until that point, early on in his ministry, uh, it's in Matthew 5, in, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he famously says in Matthew 5, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that was like breaking news then. Like, I mean, now it feels a bit cliched. Now we've all kind of heard it, you know, quite a bit, whether you've been in the church or beyond the church. But then, like, that was, that was pretty like, are you kidding me right now? Love my enemy and, and pray for those who persecute me? Do you, like, that, that, is just, that is just ridiculous. Now, just before that, and just set, set up the context a little bit, in Matthew 5, he says this in verse 38, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them to, to the other cheek also. And then skipping a verse, it says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This idea of going the extra mile and turning the, the other cheek, I, I would love to persuade you tonight that it is not about just about not responding in violence and being nice instead. It, it, it goes beyond that. It is about power. It is about control. It is about love. Here, here's a bit of the context. It was Roman law that a soldier could require a citizen or, or anybody like in, in, in this like occupying territory to carry their gear for, for one mile. Um, and they, you know, they had a ton of gear and it was very heavy and often uh, the soldier would you know, keep his sword, of course, uh, but he would find um, you know, a, a guy or, or a, a group of uh, soldiers would find a group of guys and they would make them carry their gear. And one of the reasons that they did, was, did that was exclusively to humiliate them. Like, it was, it was a way of saying, I'm in charge, and you're not. And you're going to do what I, what, what I tell you to do. Because if you don't, you're, you'll either be hurt, beaten, or killed, and then some, okay? So, like, this idea of, like, being required to go an extra mile, uh, this idea of going one mile, it, was, it would have rang of this to the, to the original audience. So when Jesus says, offer to go a second mile for the people who are, who are doing this to you, like, you got to be wondering, like, like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that? So let's put, let's put ourselves in this situation. You are being told by a Roman soldier that you must carry all this, all this gear, and it is heavy. And you're, you're going this mile, and as you're, as you're walking, let's just pretend it's just you and the, and the soldier, not, not a whole crowd of people. You don't really, ha- you're not making conversation like, how is your day today, right? The soldier's probably mocking you. He's probably ridiculing you. 
He's probably calling out things about your, your, your physical appearance. He's probably saying really derogatory things about your mother. He's probably making fun of your, your hobbies and your customs. And he's probably just making, making it as uncomfortable as possible for you. And here you are carrying his heavy bag, feeling absolutely humiliated, and just like, I, I cannot wait to get out of this moment. I cannot wait till this mile is over so I can just go home. And then, at the end of the mile, you remember Jesus' words. Jesus says, if somebody forces you to carry their stuff for a mile, go with them two miles. And at that second mile, when the guy says, all right, I guess you've, uh, you, you've completed the mile, you say, okay, well, I'd like to go with you a second mile. I mean, the look on that soldier's face would probably make it all worth it just like that. Like, like well, I mean, why? I mean, I'm, I'm almost running out of insults, you know, like the soldier, the soldier may say. And in that moment, like, like there, there's a lot going on there. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to do this. No, I want to do this. In fact, I don't feel ridiculed or humiliated by you. Not that you would actually have this conversation, but this is the narrative of the moment. In this moment where, where you think that you are, you are humiliating me, I want to respond in this way that Jesus is teaching me to respond by, by, by praying for you, by having mercy towards you, by, by trying to figure out how I can love you. The soldier may hold the sword, but I tell you, the guy that's willing to go the extra mile, he is the one that is in control. He is the one that, that has the power. And that's pretty incredible. Turning the other cheek works, the, works a very similar way as well. Instead of retaliating uh, like by, by, by trying to attack the person that has struck you, and instead of running away, you turn at, at, to symbolize forgiveness, to symbolize this, you cannot make me hate you. You cannot make me hate you. You don't have that type of power over me. And instead, I choose to accept you, and it is, it is in my heart to try to figure out how to way, a way to love you. That is power. And, and that is impressive when, when, you, when you read Jesus' words of, of how this idea of love and how this, this revolution uh, can, can, can really take place. And I have to just, you know, kind of just continue thinking about these, these Roman soldiers. If this happened on a consistent basis, which, which, which there's good reason to believe that it, that it did on some level, after a while, and especially these soldiers, like, like, you know, part of the whole Roman law, part of the whole Roman code like, was based on honor. If you're a soldier, at some point you're going to be thinking to yourself, I, I really am an awful person that, who, who does this to people. In, in, in some way, like, you know, you're going to be thinking to yourself, people have responded to, to my derogatory remarks and, 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 and my, my attempts at humiliation, with, and they've responded in kindness. And I, I kind of wonder, like, when they go back to their, you know, their, 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 their cafeterias and, and their, you know, their lunchrooms, so to, so to speak, and, like, they trade stories, and they say, you wouldn't believe it. Like, w- one of these Jewish guys, like, you know, offered to, to carry my, 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 my heavy stuff for, for a second mile. And another guy says, yeah, me too. What is going on? You know, these guys aren't so bad. You know, they, they used to swear and, and curse at us and, and throw things at us. Now they're being kind to us. I'd like to remind you that it was in the, the book of Acts and early church history that it was the Christians who were taking care of people in very dramatic, loving, incredible ways. They were the ones who were serving the lepers. They were the ones who were going out to the margins of society and saying, we will take care of you even if nobody else wants to take care of you. We will choose to love you even if nobody else wants to, wants to love you. 
we will give you, out of, out of the, the little that we have, we, we will give and help you in your need. That changes lives. That changes systems. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. The message of Jesus, it, it can change a system, and it can change the heart. Now, we all want a, we all want a better system. And, and, and one, one of the books that, that I, I read recently is a book called Just Mercy, and it was given to me by a friend here at GC at Night, and it was written by a guy named Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson is a defense lawyer who has devoted his life uh, to making sure that people get a fair and just trial uh, and reasonable sentencing as well. Uh, he's a nonprofit lawyer who, who takes on numerous death row cases, and he makes it clear uh, that he's not trying to free evil people and get them back onto the streets, uh, but he wants a fair law system, one that is just, uh, one that arrests the right guy, and give us fair sentences. In short, the law should treat us all the same, regardless of skin color. Now, he tells a number of stories in this book, and, and, and one that, that is, is kind of one of the longer stories and, and just captures your attention as you're reading along is, is a story from the late 1980s uh, with, a, with a man named Walter McMillan who was found guilty for killing a white woman. Now, he's a, he's a black man with a checkered moral past, but he does not have any prior criminal record. He also um, had a very lousy defense attorney. And during the trial, uh, the, the testimony of white witnesses was held in higher regard than the testimonies of, of black witnesses who, who were verifying his whereabouts during the time of the murder. And so for, for Walter, it was a combination of being at the wrong place at the wrong time and being black. Now to summarize the story, after six years of death row waiting his execution, one of the key witnesses of the trial, he was in jail, and he, during his rehabilitation, says, I have lied during the McMillan trial, and I want to set the record straight. I cannot let an innocent man die on, on, in, in this way. I have, to do, I have to do what's right. And you would think that if somebody came forward and said, I'm one of the key witnesses and I testified wrongly, that, they, that like, the process would be you know, pretty quick in trying to get this guy out of it. But, but not, not even in the, in the early 90s, like the 1990s, I'm saying, not even in the early 1990s in Alabama was that the case. And Brian Stevenson was the lawyer that was trying to figure that out. And, it, and the, the, the case went through like a series of appeals. It was like a really drawn out deal. And finally, uh, they, after many setbacks, even after this guy came forward, they got a new trial, and he was released, and he was freed after being six years, uh, wrongly uh, prosecuted um, and, and being on death row. Now, I'm reading along with my inner monologue as well, and I'm thinking to myself, what? Like, they, they, can't, just, they can't just put people in jail for no reason. Like, like that, that is just, un, that is just un unbelievable. Is this story accurate? I mean, like, what is the author not telling me type of a thing? And, and then the other side of my inner monologue is, like, I have two, I have two personalities in the inner monologue. I don't, and does anyone else? It's like, no, I've, I've heard similar stories like this before. I mean, they're, they're, like, history is full of these awful stories. Like, you, we've, we've read about them. We've seen movies about them. We've seen 60-minute specials about them. Um, like, just, just, just like, on, uh, back in November, I remember seeing a news feed that said something like, uh, a Washington, D.C. man was freed uh, for a crime that he did not commit after spending 25 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And DNA evidence 
was what ended up securing his innocence. And um, the only good part of the story was that he was awarded $16 million you know, for, for, for that mistake. Now, we all want a better system. I mean, I, I, I believe that. We all want a better system. We all have to agree that you know, there, there are things that are just not working. We all want a safer society. We, we all want less violence and more peace. And this goes beyond ideologies. This goes beyond politics. This goes beyond like, you know, like some, some other like personal convictions and opinions that we might have. We, we all want more peace. How do we arrive at that? Again, I believe it starts with this love of Jesus. Now, I'm not called to be a criminal defense lawyer, even though I really did debate um, as I was reading the Brian Stevenson book, like, man, like I, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I'm not called to do that. But I am encouraged by people who do pursue justice. And, and I, I have, I've met a few uh, criminal defense lawyers over the years. And, and, and also, currently, one of my, one of my good friends is, is, is a prosecutor. Um, and I love, you know, hearing the stories, whatever he's legally allowed to tell me. Um, like, I, I love hearing some of, some of his stories as well. I, I want justice. I, I want good things to happen to good people, and I want bad people to be punished and then restored. Like, like, that, like that, is, that is a basic, you know, type of agreement that I think most of us have. Over the years, I've, 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 I've had many wonderful conversations with police officer friends I've had. And over the years, I've, I've had many wonderful conversations with activist friends I have. And every now and then I want to get my, my prosecutor friend along with my defense attorney friend, on my terms, by the way, and my officer friends along with my activist friends and, 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 and figure out, because like we all kind of want the same thing. We all want justice. We all want goodness. We all want to, to stop evil and bring you know, God's shalom into this world. How can we do that? Because I want to be teammates with people who are interested and passionate about that. But those conversations aren't easy. In fact, it's quite complicated. Often, you, you have a conversation and it ends very poorly. And for every like, you know, two bad conversations you have, you, you probably end up with one conversation that was really worthwhile and, and created some sense of progress. How do we change the system? And what does Jesus do about these really flawed and broken systems? I, I want to read to you a passage out, out of Matthew 22. And, and it's about Jesus and the imperial tax. And if you're, like, you know, if you're, if you're really you know, paying attention to what's going on right now, you're probably thinking to yourself, what do taxes and racial reconciliation have in common? Well, maybe as, as I read, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out a little bit. It begins in verse 15 of Matthew 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Now here they are, they're trying to trap Jesus. Like, if, if, if Jesus says, you know, like, no, don't, don't pay the taxes, you know, he, he's going to be in trouble, right? 
And of course, if he gives in too much to the taxes, then, then, he, then he looks like you know, he's, he's okay with like, the way that the Roman system is kind of set up. And it, it was unfairly taxing the local population, unfairly, brutally. Jesus doesn't give them what they want. Instead, he overpowers them with his wisdom and, and, and his righteousness. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, we could preach an entire message about that, but in short, this is what Jesus is saying. Let the system have what it wants to have. If they want metal and coins and currency and the power that goes along with it and the status and like, you know, just to protect this own little system, let them have that. God wants something much more important and much bigger and, and much more crucial. God wants shalom. God, God wants our, uh, he, he wants our love and he wants us to love our neighbor. Like this is the great command that he gives you know, towards the end. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Forget about the coins, forget about the inscriptions, forget about the monuments. Love God and love your neighbor. He wants us to serve one another. He wants us to sacrifice with one another. He wants when we, when we fight and argue and have these awful, awful type of disagreements, he wants us to reconcile and to move forward and to serve and, and worship together. Give to God what is God's. Jesus is saying, let the system have all the coins it wants, but the real kingdom, God's kingdom, that runs on things that truly matter. And Caesar, the system, they can't touch that. I'm inspired by things like that. Like, I do want to give God what is God's. And when it comes to, to change the world, when it comes to injustices, when it comes to answering this question, you know, how then shall we live? And is Jesus really good for the world? I want this to be part of my response, and I want to be part of a community that has that response. Yes, I want to give to God what is God's. I've always felt that I've lived in the middle of, 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 of different cultures. Um, and, and I know I've, I've been talking about this quite a lot um, recently. Uh, I'm, I'm an Egyptian-American, and part of my story is that I, I just feel that I'm always in the middle of, of so many different things. Anyone ever feel like they're always just in the middle, no matter, no, matter where, no matter where they are, no matter what they do, they're always in the middle? Thank you. God bless you. You and me. I feel it. I feel it. I, I'm just going to direct all my thoughts. Seriously. Anyone else? No? All right. The inner monologue? No? All right. Well, there's some of us who really believe that we're, in, we're, we're kind of in the middle. And I know there's more of us. I, I, I just joke. And I know how hard it is to raise your hand in public and all that. But as an Egyptian-American, I always felt, and, and maybe you can relate in your own way, um, as, as one who was born in, here in the States, um, I never felt Egyptian enough uh, for some of, my, some of my other Egyptian friends who, who, who had you know, a command of the language and a command of the heritage um, and like, you know, would make fun of my American accent when I was trying to pronounce you know, different Arabic words. And that was pretty good. Um, and, and of course, I never felt American enough at, at, or, or, or uh, 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 majority culture enough at certain points either. And every now and then, like it, it kind of rings true that you're being treated a little bit differently than someone else. And you're not sure, is, that, is, that, is it me? Is it my personal behavior? Is it my personality? Or is it because I'm not really one of them? Now, I, I, I finished high school and, and I kind of was like really, really just, just frustrated with, with all of this. Um, and so, I, you know, you, you go to college with, with these thoughts. And my, my first semester of college, it was, you know, it was a little bit of a tough transition with, with, with feeling that you're always in the middle and not really knowing what your real place is. 
And I ended up in this one particular dorm room with two of the worst roommates that anyone has ever had. I mean, like, it, I, I couldn't have picked worse roommates. Um, I mean, like, they lucked out when they got me. I mean, here I am, charming, self-aware. But man, these guys, these guys, oh my goodness, it was rough. It was rough. It was so bad, just to give you, like, a really ri ridiculous, you know, senseless story, because I, I really want your sympathy, okay? <laughs> I, I had, I, we had a dress code at my school, and so we, like, you know, you use the iron every day, or, or like, people who care about their appearance use the iron every day. And, and I had set the iron down, and I forgot to unplug it, and I left it against a garbage can, okay? Um, now, now, my roommates, they could not hate me any more than they already did for whatever reason, um, but they... When they, when, they, when they discovered, like, that the, 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 you know, the thing almost set on fire, like, the one roommate was like, like, what are you doing? Oh, I can't believe you did this. He was just enraged with me. And I felt bad. I'm like, oh, I know, I know. I almost burned the whole dorm down. I'm really sorry. No, no, not that. You burned a hole in my garbage can. <laughs> now, the hole was, like, the size of a quarter. The size of, like, 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 the garbage can still works. Like, like, like I, I didn't, it, was, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's not that we're, like, throwing, like, you know, liters of, like, Listerine in the garbage can, right? I mean, like, like what, what is going on? And so he insisted that, that I, 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 I replace the garbage can. Replace a garbage can with, with a hole the size of a quarter? So I tried to give him $10. I, I, like, here, like, I don't, you know, we fight over everything. This is an easy one. Here's $10. It's, I'll, or I'll buy you a pizza or something. Let's just, let's just end this. No, he said. You have to go to the store and buy me and replace my property, replace this garbage can. What? I could not wait to get out of this dorm room. I could not wait to get away from these people. It was a tough first semester. And so, of course, naturally, I didn't study much in that room. I went, there, was another, there was another room that you can kind of study in. And I walked into one day. And, and, and sitting there was another guy studying, eating a pizza. And his name was Jeremiah. And, and Jeremiah was, was fr fr from an uh, inner-city neighborhood in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, and and he, he, he was a, a, a young black man um, who was really experiencing the culture shock of, of coming from the inner city and now all of a sudden being uh, first semester in this private, Christian, majority white type of school. And he was trying to figure it out. He was academically gifted. Um, he, he was gifted you know, with athletics. And it turns out he also had like, a really great voice. And it also turned out that he had a really bad roommate too. And so it didn't take us long to kind of like, you know, trade notes and, and you know, and, and, and do all that. And, and among the many conversations that we would have uh, was about like, you know, racial reconciliation and about racism um, and about feeling like you don't quite belong. And as time would go on, it, it made sense for us to trade roommates. Since you have a really bad roommate who seems to get along with my really crazy roommates, and since like I... He says, I want to get out. Like, I would love to like, go over to the, that side of the hall. I'll even bring a brand new garbage can or the, the garbage can with a hole in it if you'd like. I mean, like, we, we, we can make this happen, and so we did. And Jeremiah and I, we would talk about like, all sorts of things for, 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 for the course of the year, like you do with, with people that you live with. Sometimes the conversations would begin with, hey, I don't understand why, why you say that or, or, or why you do that or why, why you think that. And sometimes they would be peaceful conversations. Help me understand. And sometimes it would be roommate conversations, like, you're, you're crazy if you think that's true, right? Or, or sometimes would, the conversation would be like, there you go again, saying X, Y, or Z. No, that's not what I meant, and, and, and that sort of thing. And every now and then, when, when progress was feeling good, the conversation would go something like, 
hey, I, I was thinking about what you said the other day. I want to ask you about that. And, and at, you know, 19, 20 years old, when you're, like, you know, trying to figure things out in life, and, and I'm sure many of you have had similar experiences, that was one of the most important conversations and, and friendships that, that, I, that I've had over the years. My favorite part about it was that it was, it was mutually beneficial. I learned so much from him, and, and he, he would tell me over the years that, that we, he learned, you know, a little bit from me as well. Now, he, he wasn't the only friend, the, the only minority friend, or the only in the middle friend, or the only black friend that I had. But man, like, it was great to live in that space. I should also mention that we had a, a roommate who was from the South, uh, from North Carolina, uh, uh, the nicest white kid you, you'd ever meet from Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, and it, it, we, we, every now and then we would pray that, we'd, that God would give us like a Korean-American friend um, so we could have like a really great reality TV show. Like we were just, just, one, just one kid away, man. That, that, would have been, that would have been great. But I want to ask you tonight, who are the Jeremiahs in, in your life? Not, not just the people who are explaining different cultures to you, but, but also people whose lives that you're enriching you know, as well. Who are the Jeremiahs in your life? I've had several of them over the years, but it never quite feels enough. And the reason I think that we have to stop and ask this question is, if we're not careful and if we're not intentional, all of our friends start looking like us. All of our friends start believing the same things that we do. All of our friends start, like, start taking on like, this, this, this normal pattern. And, and it's great to have commonality with, with certain people. But man, it's also really great to have different types, different types of friendships and people who have different ideologies, different backgrounds, even different faiths. Some of my, some, some of my closest friends are not Christians. And I don't say that with shame. And I hope, of course, that they become Christian because Jesus is the best thing that I know. Well, one, one guy in particular, he is, he is as atheistic as it gets. And we talk about this every so often. And every now and then when he calls me with a problem, I, I, and out of respect, I, I don't want to say I will be praying for you. But like, you know, I'm, the, the best I got so far is like, hey, I'm really rooting for you. I, 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 hope, things, I hope things work out well. I really do. Because I don't, I don't want to be spiteful, and he doesn't want to be spiteful back. Like, like, there's genuine love in this friendship. Who are the Jeremiahs in your life? Because, again, I believe that Jesus changes the system, and I also believe that Jesus changes the heart. And we can do things on a society, like a societal level, but we also have to do things on a personal level. But it has to be rooted in love. And so when we bring love and justice to systems and relationships we also bring love and kindness to, to, to everything that that touches. And there is goodness to be uncovered and gained and created. Or let me put it this way. When we love others like Jesus does, we really can change any system, be part of any reconciliation, and bring good in this world. When we love like Jesus does. Is Christianity good for the world? With, with, with every fabric of my being, yes, I really believe that it is. And I, I would love to be, again, part of a Christian community, more as this is, that passionately believes in that and is growing in that. So much more to say, but I'd like to point you to a few resources and a few opportunities if, if, if something is stirring in your heart and you want to take another step forward. As Andrew shared, shared earlier, uh, tomorrow here in our lesson to campus, um, actually in this very room, there will be a panel discussion on, on the work and the life of Dr. King and there's also going to be roundtable discussions um, as well. And so like that begins at 9 o'clock. Um, there's a whole series of events, but the panel discussion, roundtable discussion goes from 9 to 11. 
and, and then there's, there's going to be a, a, a walk a, a, of unity um, over, over to the green. I would love for you to come. I would love for you to be a part of it. And as one who, who, who's gotten to know of, you know a, few, a few people in this room, I don't want you just to come just because uh, I want you to listen to it. I would love for you to come to contribute as well. I would love for you to come to, to bless the people who are going to be at your table. Because many of you in this room have stories and voices and wisdom that really is helpful for others to hear and, and to receive. And I, and I would love for you to be a part of it for that reason as well. There's also another event that's happening on February 11th over in Watertown. It's called the Q Commons Preview. And so like, if you're interested like, in social justice or in racial reconciliation, these Q Commons events are, are like, really great. And what we're going to be doing on February 11th